0: Thank you for joining us on I Talk Shit and Read. This is Rogue and Toya from the MTR Network, and we are starting a new series called Book to Screen. And first up for us is going to be Stephen King's The Outsider, which is also the new show that premiered January 12th on HBO by the same name. And the major cast is Jason Bateman, Ben Mendelsohn, Cynthia Erivo, Juliana Nicholson, Mark Mincha, Bill Camp, Marie Winning, and a lot of other people who I will not do the discourtesy of mispronouncing their names so terribly as I have want to do on the MTR Review Show for movies. (laughs) We're going to try to start as we mean to go. So it is a 10-episode series, and Toya and I decided that we would reread or uh, be pressured by Rhonda into reading (laughs) The Outsider so we could talk about the book and what they're doing with the show. I hear you back there giggling, Toya. Because that shit is hilarious. Continue. Where's the lie? Did I tell a lie? Because I feel like I didn't lie yet. Nope. Go right (laughs) ahead. (laughs) So I saw the trailer for this um, when they first issued out the press release for The Outsider. I'm a big, huge horror movie and horror book fan. Stephen King is the first book that ever got me kicked out of class in junior high for reading a non-approved book and I guess I freaked my teacher out because I was giggling while reading Carrie, but I'm a Stephen King fan. I personally feel that he needs deep and intensive therapy. I am also slightly thankful that he uses writing as a form of his therapy, although I still feel like he needs some talk therapy. Come
1: on. You've said nothing wrong so far.
0: Okay, I'm just checking. I mean, if you know anything about Stephen King, you know, one of the reasons why people like to take his stories and either put them in movies and put them on the screen is because he is a, he is a messed up individual. And the peaks that he gives you into his understanding or viewpoint on psyche of the human mind or, you know, what does it mean? What's what does it is to believe in reality? What is reality? So his blend of the dramatic with the supernatural, with the mystical, with the collective memory, with Our over our our overwhelming need to belong and be accepted, plus childhood trauma, a lot of childhood trauma, and what that is. About
1: kids, right?
0: Yeah, he got to think about kids. He also has a thing about um, the otherly abled. If you know, if you've ever watched any of his show, he has a tendency. There'll be somebody in there who might be autistic, or who is Down syndrome, or who has some kind of physical visual visible disability of a type and I think on some levels he got some ableist issues but on other levels I think that Stephen King certainly believes that with certain people in the world the veil between the mystical and the mundane is a little thinner. Yeah. And was, and he yeah. and he likes to play in that in that sandbox. Sometimes he pees in it and he should stop. But yeah. yeah. So I hit up Toya what was it? Mid December?
1: Yeah. It was around that time.
0: And asked how fast do you read? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is pretty fast. Yeah, it is. I started. Um, I read this book when it first came out. Um, it's about uh, a little under six hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Don't let that be intimidating to you. It also is available in audiobook. Did you read this again, or did you listen to it? No,
1: nah, I did the audiobook, which is really good, actually.
0: Do you know who the um, the person who did the narration is? Yeah.
1: Hold on, I can look it up real quick while we're talking. Okay, because it's a famous person. I want to say it's Will Wheaton.
0: Well, that would make yeah. it even creepier. Yeah, I want to say it's Will Wheaton. I'm pretty like, sure. I don't. Yeah, I don't believe that there's any time or any way in which you can't kind of try to keep yourself from falling into the collective stupidity that is American culture. And an easy way to do that is audiobooks if you don't have time to sit down and read. Uh, another easy way to do it is novellas and short stories. I'll be increasing the coverage of books that we have on the network because I do read a lot. Um, I just cataloged how many books that I've read and or purchased in 2019. And let's just say that they currently make a wall of books that run the length of my hallway. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's not Where's talk about yeah. I I need I need I need bookshelves. Yeah. It's Will I'm Patton. I'm sorry, not Will Lee, Will
1: Patton.
0: Oh well he's one of the best. hmm He did really
1: good. It was okay. a really good really good audio book. I was impressed.
0: I mean, you may know Will Patton from like he's the he's the other coach in Remember the Titans opposite Denzel Washington for anybody who doesn't have a face that comes to mind immediately. And he was also in the Postman, I believe he was in Gone Girl. He was in Armageddon, The Punisher, Gone in Sixty Seconds. He always plays a slightly self deprecating guy. But my favorite thing from William Patton has been the T N T show Fallen Skies. Uh so who if you, you like me, play? who did he play so, Fallen Skies? He was the Colonel. Dan Weaver. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that show was crazy. I love that show. That show was out of their mind. Yeah, but if you're any kind of, even a casual listener for the network, I think you figured out by now that I, I, I'm i crazy. I'm...
1: So it fits. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, you know what?
0: Libras are not supposed to throw shade at fellow Libras. It's not what we're supposed now to do. Now tell me,
1: did you finish Falling Skies?
0: Yes. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, you are crazy. I couldn't yeah.
1: finish that shit. <laughs> you got your damn mind. And I couldn't finish that shit. Yeah, I, I to, like almost the last season was like, what, the, what am I? Uh-uh. Yeah,
0: it went left and then it jumped the shark and then it threw itself off a cliff and I stayed on for the whole ride. Look, sometimes when you give yourself to a show, you give yourself to a show. Gotta see it to the end. Look, we've already established that I don't always exercise good self-care. You're my Facebook friend. You know, you see what happens. Sometimes I watch movies again that I know are going to make me angry. For this show, what what if you had to pick a favorite current kind of Stephen King book, what would you say is your go-to Stephen King book?
1: Ooh, good question. My favorite book from back in the day, Dinner. Ooh. Dinner was one of my favorites. Misery is another classic. The Shining. I really need to go um and see that movie, the, the, the second version of The Shining,
0: the part two. Dr. <laughs> Sleep. Yes. Oh, that that didn't sound good. Was that not a good? Okay. Okay. Um, I think Dr. Sleep should have been a limited series. We did do a review of it on the network and the guys and I are kind of in agreement that there's so much to unpackage. There was absolutely no way that they could do it all in the movie. I enjoyed the hell out of Dr. Sleep, but I'm also absurdly attached to Redheads and Rebecca Ferguson is in it. The young lady who played the lead character in there was fantastic, but Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, a little bit, because there was so much, going on in Dr. Sleep that they lost a little bit of the plot. Oh,
1: okay.
0: But not in a way where you can't enjoy the movie and not in a way where you need to go back and reread or watch The Shining in order to enjoy Dr. Sleep. It's better if you know what you're stepping into because of how much they have to skip around, but I like the visuals, I like the pace, I like the mayhem. I just wanted more. I enjoyed it so much that I wish they had been able to take their time and give me more and not just because it meant they would have killed more people, but it's also because they would have killed more people.
1: You know, I've been going back and kind of getting into Stephen King because I've been getting into the Castle Rock series. I don't know if you are a fan of the Castle uh, Rock series. Uh,
0: I am, and I'm absolutely and completely excited for the second season because it's got have Lizzie Borden. Wait, did you see it?
1: You haven't seen it yet?
0: I've watched some of it. I have not finished. It is my <laughs> reward for finishing all of the things that I have to do for January.
1: It was so good. It was so good. And there's some moments where I was like, excuse me, what?
0: If you spoil, you're going to make me have to get on a plane and cut you.
1: I, w- I would never spoil. I don't I don't believe in spoiling. Spoiling, you, I
0: deserve to be cut for spoiling, so I will not spoil. I'm okay, just going to say. Ladies and gentlemen, you all heard that I have now got a forever promise. I'm not spoiling. I Excellent. promise. I'm just going to say it was fantastic. Yeah, was I still fantastic. have two episodes left of the season to watch, and they are my oh, okay. reward for finishing my work.
1: Yeah, it was really good, and um, I, I've i never, I don't recall ever seeing that actress in
0: anything. I think it was minor stuff, but not major stuff, but, uh, I mean, th- you name some of my favorites, uh, but I will have to say, my all-time favorite book from Stephen King, it's not okay. a full, it's, it's, it's actually the thing that got me really hooked on short stories and novellas, mm-hmm. because it's four stories in one, it's not one full story, mm-hmm. and- It's where Shawshank Redemption comes from. Yes. 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 For, uh, you know, Shawshank and Rita Hayworth is the actual name. Mm -hmm. It's also where Apt Pupil comes from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which, quite frankly, left me deeply traumatized. (laughs) Yes, I King will do that to you. Yeah, but I was too young when I read different seasons. It's actually different seasons, not four seasons. I was way, way way too young when I read Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption and I was still too young when I read Apt People about the the young boy who thinks he's identified a member of the SS lives in his neighborhood and instead of turning him in he blackmails him into telling him about the camps and everything and he re-triggers this dude and there's a scene in there where they're talking where he actually has him act like he's still in the military and this guy starts like Doing maneuvers like where he's marching in place and he's doing about face over and over again and giving the seat and I about, I was like nah mm-hmm. and when they turned that into a movie the kid that they cast was so perfectly creepy but the movie didn't work because they didn't they didn't take all they 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 punted but mm-hmm. yeah it's my it's my favorite it's my all time favorite Stephen King book it's also where the body comes from so stand by me mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption at people, the body and the breathing method, which are also four of my favorite film adaptations of Stephen King's work. And I'm absurdly attached to Carrie. Um, I even like the old movie with Sissy Spacek. It's my favorite Sissy Spacek movie. <laughs> I mean, they filmed uh, Carrie, too, at my high school in North Carolina, and, mm-hmm. uh, which still freaks my mom out. And she occasionally says she still goes and throws holy water at the building. Yeah. I, like I don't him. know. Yeah, I was like every time you talk
1: to me about your mom, I like your mom more
0: and more. My mom is my mom is a special kind of crazy. I inherited all of my genes honest from both sides of my DNA. Neither my parents can ever promise that um, it's not their fault that I am out my damn mind. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I like the Dark Tower series, so I was extremely disappointed in everything except for the casting of the child and Idris Elba. The story Mm -hmm. was trash. Of the more recent books that he's put out, I liked The Outsider. I, it got really mixed reviews when it came out. There are some people who really liked it because it was more of a cut and dried style than they're used to from Stephen King. Um, he's playing around a little bit more in the p- police procedural kind of world. If you mm-hmm. ever read anything like World War Z, some of the book is relayed to you through interviews that are conducted with people who turn out to have important information later. later. Mm-hmm. And that, and I, personally think uh, that the way that this show is being translated onto screen is making excellent use of the source material probably better than Stephen made in how he chose to tell the story in the book. What do you think? Are you saying that you think
1: that they are adapting what he put in the book better than he wrote it?
0: Uh, yes. Huh. Um, kind of. Only in terms of, I don't know if they had try, if they had tried to do a true, faithful, one-to-one adaptation for how he presented the facts in the book, if mm-hmm. it would have made for interesting TV. Okay, I got you. I got you. But, I do so, think
1: uh, that they made some changes that I think were necessary. I think um, they made it a lot more brown. <laughs>
0: yes, uh, they did.
1: It is way more brown than it is in the book. Oh, Way more, like, to the point where I was like, hold on. There was nowhere near the amount of color that there is in the book as there is in the first, I don't know, 20 minutes of the show. I
0: think... They are in Georgia, so it kind of, you know...
1: Yeah, they did change it to Georgia, but I mean, we in Flint City, Oklahoma, like, is And the part of Georgia that they're in, they're not like they're in Atlanta. They're in a, like, Hobo inside of Georgia too, so it's not like as if it ain't chock full of white people there too.
0: i, I live in for yeah. <laughs> Like, I will not, say that it I will say that those elements didn't bother me because it didn't feel forced in the sense that it didn't feel like they tried to overwhelm the the cast with numbers, so to speak. No, it just was um, obvious. If you read yeah. the book, it was you know. Yeah, it was the book the the book is a, is is quite white. But, oh, that's, but it's, it's Stephen King like, OK, look, Stephen King just got his ass in a sling because he said something that should have been put together all in one statement in a series of tweets that and the choices he made for where he broke up his thoughts revealed some bias that you only get when looking at things through the lens of a white man. Oh, I'm and, never on Twitter. So you'll have to tell me about that. Oh, oh OK. I'm sorry. Never. I don't sleep very much. I'm on Twitter too much. Mm. Okay.
1: Continue.
0: So shortly after they made the announcement of the nominations for the Oscars or the Academy Awards, if we won't be fancy, mm-hmm. Stephen King, in his infinite wisdom, came out and decided that he wanted to make a comment on the subject. Mm-hmm. And he made one of those comments that sorta of kind of screams, I don't see color when I'm doing my job. And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but this shouldn't be happening. I need this not to be happening. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of was like, go look at the rest of the thread. It's not just that one statement he made. And while I'm babbling at you, I'm actually going to get it so I don't misquote him because you know, he didn't got himself in enough trouble. He don't need no help from me. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you say, I don't see color, you see all the color. Well, well, see, the thing is, when people say people like we live in a color brown world, I don't see color. I'm looking at them going. So you don't see me because because I'm black all day. I can't stop being black. I'm also a dark skinned black woman. So you're going to sit here and try to pretend Mm -hmm. that it's okay for you to tell me I shouldn't bring up my color and my race and how that impacts my life and how people work with me, how people act towards me how people are influenced by how they need to treat me or they behave in any fashion towards me because they've decided my color isn't important as a part of the evaluation. But on the other side of the table, those are the same people who also decide that they don't need to make room for things that make them uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. that make them feel as though they're in a more challenging setting than they want to be. Or that means that they need to watch their mouths. So Stephen, it was on January 14th, he said, I never considered diversity in matters of art. Only quality. It seems to me to do otherwise would be wrong. Okay. Right there, you're already fucking up. Right. right. (laughs) I was like, that can't be it. I was like, this man is on Twitter a lot. There is no way on God's good earth that he thought it was okay to say that and leave it there. Right. And so I went and read the rest of the Twitter thread and I was like, oh, you had a whole thread going, but you didn't, you didn't make it clear that that was part of an entire statement. So people went and looked at everything that you said. Now, don't get me wrong. He made a choice to let that thought stand alone out of everything he said. And I think that choice shows in his writing. Right. Yeah. There's some. There are some times when he puts together a situation, he doesn't contemplate that the world outside his window isn't the whole world. Yeah, I mean, and most that white men don't 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 think like that. Accurate. But that also turns into being a problem sometimes when you want to adapt your work. And, ha- and and especially if it's gonna be in somebody else's hands. So mm. the writer of The Outsider for HBO is the man who wrote, I think he did another HBO show. I really want to say he did. I know his name is Richard and I don't remember anything else about him. And I feel really bad because I'm pretty sure I've watched all the work he does. But so, so when I was looking at it, I was like, I don't understand how you think this is why your work gets jacked up. Like I don't, I think it was a complete and utter accident that the green mile ended up being as comprehensively welcoming to all the people in it as it did. But I also do think that, it is highly, highly typical of his work that John Coffey could be Black and could be the way he is because there were almost always gonna be bars between him and anybody else. So they felt comfortable.
1: Doesn't that kind of explain the problems with his work though inherently, especially when it comes to adaptations? Because, you know, listen, most of his adaptations are trash. Most of the Stephen King adaptations to film are garbage because, you know, Either they're poorly written or they're just not written to include anyone other than uh, the basics and they fall off, at least in the books. If you, in my mind, I can create somebody that looks like me or I can think of someone that that I can I can create a fantasy that maybe Stephen King hasn't created for me. You know what I mean? I know yeah. I did that kid all the time as a kid. I created a space that maybe the author didn't create for me. Whereas in the movie, it's pretty much point blank period what it is. A lot of his adaptations, ninety percent of his adaptations were garbage, and I think a lot of times that has
0: to do with the fact of the way
1: that he wrote them. And it also it, has you know, to
0: do with people think. I think it, it also. I think it also plays into people's idea of faithfulness to the book, to the work. Yes. To, yeah. Yeah. No, well, not even just the work, but quote to the work of the author. Like there are a lot of people who think if you say that something is in a small town, America, that's why right. you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's they, they get uh, no ifs, no ands, no buts about it. Or if you say yeah. something's in the country right. and you say it's a southern town and a part of the country, people think oh, they're automatically going to be some segregated place where the people who are the descendants of slaves live and then there's going to be the country town center that's basically the the, the rest of the town and that's white. Or they, they think in opposite terms. It's just going to be a bunch of working class, working poor, black people and trailers. Mm, I'm from North Carolina. I almost said trailer trash. And poor mm-hmm. white people. Yeah, but. I mean, but that's what they think. And
1: when, when in fact, small towns encompass all of us. And, mm-hmm. It is is the biggest problem that Stephen King has. And so, you know, that tweet makes total sense when you think about
0: his work as its entirety. Right. So if he thinks and this is this is the problem that I have when people want to start talking about diversity, 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 diversity can be missed many, many things. Like if you live in a male centric world, including women is being diverse. If you live somewhere where people only speak and act like you, including anybody who looks or feels or sounds different than you, is being diverse. There's a difference between being inclusive, being representative, and having diversity in the project that you do. And we give permission, people permission to pick one or the other when we start getting stuck up on the words. So for this man, he's like, I'm looking at the quality of the product. I don't care if the product is from people of color, if people, women, men, I'm looking at quality. He gives himself permission to think that all he has to do is care about quality. But if the quality that's presented to him has been previously curated to cull out anything that someone feels is not representative of them, he's not actually looking at quality because his comparison base is off. And I think that's kind of what happens a lot. I think it's why Castle Rock has worked, because okay. the world that they built that equals Castle Rock doesn't look like the Castle Rock of what it looked like in the 80s or in the 90s when they did needful things.
1: You know what I'm saying? like His adaptations are now starting to work more. The people that are actually adapting his work are adapting beyond his scope of thinking.
0: And they're also know. adapting beyond the scope of thinking of the people who are usually involved in his products. I think that exactly. because bigger names like Richard Price is involved in this product and he's got enough clout and street cred, particularly with HBO, mm-hmm. to where he can push it. He did The Night Of. If you haven't seen The Night Of online on HBO, it's kind of brilliant. He was involved with The Wire for five seasons. And yeah, The Night Of is really good. Yeah. He does Deuce the Deuce with Maggie Dillenthal. He has Oh the prostitute show. Or not Prostitute, the porn show. It's like a porn show. Yeah. Yeah. It's also got a heavy side of street prostitution. You right. I mean, I call it the prostitute show too. Let's know. Oh, I was
1: right. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't okay.
0: yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, so he's been involved in three seasons of the deuce. He's done, so he has, he has clout with HBO. So he says, I think we should move this to Georgia. I think it'd be, and obviously that probably was better for shooting mm-hmm. and, you know, taxes and overhead. And if that meant that they then had money to go out, they got Jason Bateman. He also directed the, like what, the first episode or the second? I know he, yeah, he directed he, the first he, and the second episode. Yeah, I was about to say he did. Uh-huh. He sure does. So so when you have people who come in and you can say, well, let's look at everybody. Like, whatever issues with Cynthia Revo aside, she's a talented woman. I still don't understand the issues with her. No
1: one can ever show me what she's done. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I never will until someone can actually show me her actual whole last tweets where she said something foul. I don't get it.
0: Uh, but- it is very easy to take some of the things that she says online, at least in the past, she's gotten far better at it now, probably because blacks like, would have gotten a ass. Mm-hmm. Um, people have a tendency to have conversations that should probably be in person with the person who they're talking to. So they stay in the context in which they're intended. Mm -hmm. Um, And she used to have a tendency to have conversations in public sphere that are easily misunderstood and miscontextualized. And Mm -hmm. there is a lot of anti non-American black sentiment amongst American blacks. So we have a highly combative relationship with people from the diaspora, and some of it is just, you know, the simple fact of life that we get pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so a lot of people see, oh, they're coming over here and they're taking jobs that could go to people who are Black people who are American. And you know, some of it, you're like, well, is it really a meritocracy if you didn't give anybody from here a chance? Mm-hmm. And that's a valid question. But should she be punished because she's talented enough to have gotten a chance? Some black people say yes. She shouldn't be over here doing our shit. That kind of thinking makes me uncomfortable, but some people are very comfortable planting their flag on that hill and being willing to die on it. So I've seen a couple of tweets go by, and just like I did with Stephen King, I was like, you know what? That don't that don't feel like it's all. I'm gonna go look, and I was like, oh, you used, you made a comment that looked like it was dis, dis, disparaging black Americans. But because you were having a conversation with somebody and it wasn't really about that, you kind of threw that out there and it just kind of hung out there in the ether. And then somebody saw it and took issue with it. And it's been holding over her head for- Ever. Ever. And, and like-
1: people Forever.
0: Not, no. Yeah, they're not gonna let that go. But a big part of the reason that they won't let it go doesn't have anything to do with her. It has everything to do with the paper-brag test in Hollywood. And yeah, And you know, she is a dark-skinned black woman she's got a big presence. She's tiny until she opens her mouth. If you've ever heard her sing. Oh yeah. She's super talented. Yeah. So she is a very powerhouse. close. She's a, she's, a, she's a tiny dynamo, like the literal meaning of that word. Mm-hmm. And I think she's only beginning to show the world what it is that she truly is capable of doing and the talent that she has to bring to bear. But in doing that, and having now broken into the Hollywood scene, she's not just doing that from the UK to America. She's not just doing that from the West End to the West Coast. She's She can be anywhere, and she can be everywhere now. And a lot of people have realized that Cynthia Erivo is one award away from being the youngest EGOT holder ever. I know, and I really wish, I really wish we could just rally behind her? her. Look, I will rally behind the fact that I think the song that was submitted and has been nominated for an Oscar is award-winning worthy. Mm -hmm. And her performance was a solid performance. I don't think it was one of the best in the years, but it was a performance in a movie that was designed to capture award attention as she did her job, and she did it well. She just wasn't asked to do enough in Harriet. I'm not gonna hold her responsible for a script.
1: Okay, so we're talking about Harriet the movie. Yeah, I mean, I've seen yeah. her in other stuff and thought she was wonderful, like that hotel movie, I forget the name of it, I thought she was great in that.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see her show up on The Outsider. Um, We've only seen episodes yeah. one and two, so, we know that she's coming in as Holly Ghibli and I can't wait to see what they do with that character. Um, I think it's, I, and she's also a change from how the character runs in the book. Uh, yeah. yeah. Name, you know, the biggest one being that she's who she is. Uh, but I think there's going to be I think there's going to be multiple incarnations of that particular. We're trying not to spoil folks, so that's why we're being vague with respect to Cynthia Ribeau's character. She has not been introduced yet as of the episodes. We are doing these in two episode batches. Um, if you are interested in watching the show, I know we've babbled a lot all over the place and we didn't really tell you what the show is about. Uh, so maybe you should do that. We jumped right into talking about Stephen King, and we forgot all about that. Sorry, guys. Our bad. So The Outsider, which is actually going to be the source of this, is about an 11-year-old boy's body is violated, and we do mean violated. If you can't handle that, trigger warnings uh, apply. And found in the town park, eyewitnesses and fingerprints point unmistakably to one of Flint City's most popular uh, citizens, Terry Matlin. He's a little league coach. He's an English teacher. He has uh, two daughters of his own. He's married. He also... But he also does pop Warner, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Ralph Anderson, who was a son had a son that was previously on Matlin's team, orders a very quick and public arrest in the most trifling cop way possible. Yep. who he jumps the gun based mm-hmm. on what they believe to be incontributable DNA and forensic and eyewitness evidence that Terry is guilty mm-hmm. right. only. Very shortly into the arrest, they realize that there may be a problem because Terry Matlin can prove unequivocally that he not only wasn't in Flint City when that boy was killed, he was videotaped somewhere else. And he has oh, this
1: is in the first two episodes, though. So this is
0: not a spoiler, guys. Yeah, this is not a spoiler. Um, if you've seen the first two episodes, you know that the next thing we can talk about is some of the slight deviations they've made from the book with representations of characters other than Cynthia's color. Um, But yeah, so he's arrested. And the first thing he does, this is also in the trailer is tell them I wasn't in town. I couldn't have done this. And he can prove it with, it's just, with evidence just as strong as the DNA and fingerprint and eyewitness evidence that says that he not only was in town, but he's their guy. So that's what the show's about now. If you know anything about Stephen King, the red herring here is that this is going to be a regular police investigation. The show is a police procedural. If you know anything about Richard and how he does TV, you know that he's going to be able to take those elements of a police procedural and a a mystery that's rooted around uh, an investigation of a criminal nature. And he's going to be able to build a mystery far better than Stephen King can because that's his bread and butter and it's not Stephen King. But I think between the source material and the writer and the executive producer's hand. And quite frankly, I really enjoyed how Jason Bateman kind of made the first two episodes look and feel. I think they've got something interesting here. What are your thoughts? What are your initial thoughts, Toya? what you think? First of all, I liked how they made it seem,
1: I liked the way he did the colors of the scene, the, the cinematography of it all. Like it was almost like a cloudy, the whole scene, all the scenes were cloudy and overcast. It was like the whole city was just like a, it's like a like a being over the entire city. Like you knew something was wrong. I like how they started it off from the perspective of the guy with the dog, and um, you know the little things that you saw, like the blood on the van, and the way that the dog, the, the dog's eye view of what was going on. Um, I loved how he gave the perspective of the different um, witnesses. I'll say this: the little black girl. <sighs> yeah from the from the perspective of a white man because that's probably not the the way she would have reacted to that but um i do like how they set it all up to be a mystery from the very beginning i do think that i like the way they set up the first episode i didn't like
0: how rushed it felt Oh, yeah, it felt really rushed. If you've read The Outsider or you've listened to The Outsider, you know that this book is told through shifting perspectives between Ralph uh, Anderson, the lead investigator, Terry Matlin, the lead suspect. Uh, and the book is uh, His Wife's Name is Macy on the TV show. Her name is Glory. Mm-hmm. wife and- that. But, all right. I don't know. They changed the kids' names too. They made some minor changes. I just maybe they thought they fit better for being somebody who was in Georgia versus somebody who lived in Oklahoma, or maybe yes. somebody just I don't know. I don't know. Maybe nobody just wanted to call her Macy's like the store. But um, I said it. It's fine. It's <laughs> funny. But uh, I they you know I I think in the book the more cut and dried approach between getting the seat having someone show you what's happening in the world around them plus getting their internal thoughts. And then having that laid next to the more cut and dried, typed out notes from the interviews of the witnesses, mm-hmm. I think that really worked in the book. I think it created a different sense of pace and it gives you, it kind of gives you that feel of how Stephen King puts the the, the barriers around what's going to be the foundation of this little town he's building. But on the show, mm-hmm. I thought it really worked One, I love the fact that they jumped immediately to pulling out of one of the investigative reports in the book with the dog, guy with the dog with the beagle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I think it was I thought it was a really great way that they animated the eyewitness statements. And instead of giving to this on the TV show as an eyewitness statement, they give you that event. They show you what this person later told the cops. I thought that was really smart. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it also gave them the opportunity to exercise a little bit more care with how they presented this child who has been violated, mutilated, and murdered. And I mean all three of those words specifically. Um, they, did, they did a really good job of taking care of how they showed that, too, because it could have been w-
1: way more graphic. And I appreciated the fact that it did
0: Anyone who's met a, read a Stephen King book knows it could have been horrifically displayed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because because he absolutely describes it. Yeah. And so 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 I understood why he had to describe it, because that's how you lay out why they were so convinced the evidence that they had against this child murderer was that they had found the right person. It's not that he was a suspect that they had their guy, but I liked that they did it so tastefully on screen. And I thought Jason Bateman was really smart with giving this a more toned down, muted palette for the colors. So when you did have something that had light, that it popped, or it it kind of, he could use, you know, certain brighter colors and angles to draw your eye to where he wanted it to go or to make you ignore something until he wanted you to remember that you'd seen it. Correct. So I thought all of those elements that they did, I thought the introduction and can that like they give the big huge spiral above shot in the trailer for them everybody being on the baseball field before they walk up to him and tell Terry that he's under arrest. I thought how they translated that worked a little better than them describing it to us in the book. Really? I thought it was too rushed. For oh, me, I don't, I- I don't mean for how fast they went. Uh, I just okay. they, they ran through the first hundred and sixty-five pages of this book. Ran yeah. through it. Yeah. I like, think it took away I, from it. Like
1: I think mm-hmm. for me, like I get that he I get that he was a father. Um and I get that he and we're talking about Ralph at this point, guys, the police officer. I get that he was a father, I get that he knew his son. Had been coached by this gentleman but for me if I was a person that never read the book for me I would be like why is this like what's the jump like why are we tripping so hard now for someone that's black you would be like oh this is just how cops are by like, like that's just you rely on how you've always thought or you've seen how cops react to people but just as an average viewer I thought that like the scene in the book The way that they did the 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 um, arrest at the baseball field though it did take a few minutes and they did a lot of you know what was happening on the field versus him talking to the cops in the car and you know how he was instructing them you know how to address Terry and the and the way that they you know talked about how they were gonna arrest Terry in front of people I thought that that was done really well to where you got a good picture as to how angry and how he was seething at the fact that Terry would do something like that. I guess that's just how I feel about it. Whereas no. in, in the show, it was like, ugh, what's wrong with him? I guess. That's how
0: yeah, no, no. I, I, I agree. I I personally think on some levels, they, they took out elements that I wish had been in there. So for the very first time when I'm reading a Stephen King book, one of the ways in which he is contemporary involved just a scene with two kids who were outside the baseball field who saw the cops coming mm-hmm. and looked at each other and said that's five o. Now you and I know they're in Georgia they probably would have said one time, but he's white and he's from New England. I'm going to let him be okay with 50. Yeah, right. <laughs> And he just had, he had this little line there. He was like, you know, they were taught that all black lives matter, but sometimes not to the police. So you Mm -hmm. see the police, it's time to go. I'm not gonna lie. I truly honestly would have appreciated if they were going to take this much more rush to the baseball field and take out some of the elements that led up to it out, Mm -hmm. if they had left that moment in. Because it would have given you permission to accept the cops going off half cocked like this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like as a black person, I looked at it and said, well, I'm not surprised that they rushed the judgment. I'm not surprised that they didn't try to do this in a respectful, graceful way. They got a high profile murder. They live in a small town. Mm -hmm. They they have this person who they think they have dead to rights. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm not surprised that at this point, the police said screw procedure. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised they decided to make a spectacle Mm -hmm. because that's really what it was he wanted to make a spectacle of him he wanted to ruin this man's life no ifs no ands no buts about it he wanted to make sure that even if he managed somehow to get off he could never live his life again he could never have the respect and and the welcome in his community in the surrounding communities ever again and i think if they had left that moment in with those two kids who saw the cops coming it's like we out they <laughs> they would have just created an environment just a slightly bit more environment to where you would have been able to be willing no matter what walk of life you were in and believing that people believe that this would believe that these cops are capable of that not just oh cops act like that right. so I, yeah so i feel like they lost a little bit of that connection i did like how some of the thoughts that were only internal in the book as terry having thought them mm-hmm. Were used in the build-up before they walked up to him on the field. I do also agree with you. I would have appreciated a little bit more of the flip back and forth to the investigation to the moment where they are they walk up to him on the field. I feel like they lost some of that slow drip. Yeah. And that's what I was really appreciating about this book. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it was like having somebody read this to you. Yeah. I mean,
1: you get it. I'm don't don't don't, don't get me wrong. You still you still get it. Like you understand a child has been violated, you know, listen, you want to get this motherfucker, you want to get him now. But I feel like it was just a lost opportunity, you know, uh, with the way that they handled it in the show, because there were just little things they could have done to let the audience know why Ralph was so incensed with Terry. And to me,
0: they just didn't do enough to show me. Okay, well, let's take Ralph a little bit, like, Mm -hmm. Ralph in the book um, uh, he's married he has a son right Uh, in the show they open up to you showing Ralph and his wife basically saying get up I did like how they integrated her thoughts that you don't get till far later in the book earlier in the show get up and go get him Uh, and yeah she's a big part of the show you can already tell yeah I, I but I mean who they cast I think it would have been a waste if they hadn't used her yeah they got a really, I mean, it's it, it's Marie Winningham. She's a brilliant actress. You don't, if you get the opportunity to give her lines, you give them to her, you let her speak. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little bit better and they're a little bit more even handed with how they are using the women in the show versus how they present them in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Julianne, Julianne as his wife, Glory, on the show is a little mm-hmm. bit more, is a little less passive, even though she comes across as stunned and, and, you know, completely undone by what's happening to her family, but she feels less passive than how Stephen King wrote her. And I feel like Marie Winningham feels as dynamic as she should, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So them bringing her forward as a part of how they introduced us to Ralph Anderson as played by Ben Mendelsohn. And if you don't know this man's acting, do yourself a favor and go fix that because he's a brilliant actor and he is doing some good work on this show. Um, I really felt like I don't know if I appreciated the changes they made to his family dynamic with what the change they did with his child. I think that's a part of oh, it. Okay. okay. I think it's, I think it's how we end up getting rushed. Yeah. Oh, that was not, that's a definite change. It's a hard change. They changed the gender and they changed their circumstance completely. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I mean, for the people who haven't seen it, I don't want to give it away. For the people who have seen it, um, you know, hit us up let you know if you think it mattered or not, if you've read the book. But in the book, he has a son who's not home, who's aged out of being in Little League, but he was had a very pivotal formative year into which he was under the direct crow of Terry Matlin. And up until now, Ralph has considered Terry to be a friend. And I feel like you're correct that those elements are missing in how they introduced both these men individually, but definitely how they introduced their dynamic. Like I think the the scene in the car should have been exactly the scene in the book. When he was arrested and put in the car. I don't know why they made the change, but I think they lost some of the dynamic between them. They definitely lost some of the tension and there were just some one-liners and some moments in there that were truly how somebody who finds himself in this situation would have responded Versus how we typically get how we people think they respond on screen when you're innocent Let's talk about that scene in the car because the scene in the car in the
1: book clearly. You're not gonna do it now Um, but in the book that is when he starts to realize that something isn't right Mm -hmm. That he's made a mistake in arresting terry And they took that out of the show. And I thought that was odd. And yes, they had the scene where the two of them are talking in the jail cell, but it's not the same. Because Because
0: you need those other moments before you have the one where he goes to see him in the prison, in the county jail. Yeah, you need him to start going, wait a minute, like... He didn't have enough of those
1: wait-a-minute moments before he went to the jail cell to talk to Terry. And that's what I mean by it's rushed because that's another part that they really shouldn't have taken out of the show because in the car, for people that didn't read the book, in the car, Terry leans into him and he's like, I'm going to ruin you for this because all you had to do was talk to me. I didn't do this. Yeah, he's like,
0: how dare dare you? Right, how dare you? Like,
1: I... I didn't do anything and I on the show they done
0: they reduced that all the way down to just him being how dare you ask me that question and I don't think it was enough
1: it wasn't enough and even like I no now no, no, let me be clear I love the exchange that they had at the jail cell where mm-hmm. he starts he says you know you asked me if I've ever touched your son or if I ever touched your son's heart or some shit like that and he says watch what you say and and in the end he says I hope I did touch him and I love that exchange. But mm-hmm. if they had have left that part in the car where Terry is like, yo, all you had to do was talk to me instead of making your, yourself look like a complete ass and embarrassing me and ruining my life, we could have talked about this like, gentlemen, if they had loved that scene in there, it would have been much more impactful. Like, I feel like they didn't so much have to have a whole nother episode. They could have added maybe 10 minutes. And in my 10 minutes, they could have left that scene you were talking about and the scene I'm talking
0: about. I agree. I also think a part of what was rushed, well, I mean, they did have um, Julianne Nicholson's character, Glory Matlin, yell some of the lines that originally had come from Terry Matlin at the car. But yes. I, think, I think they also changed some of that dynamic because um, we missed out on the moments of seeing what was being done to her family like what was being done to his family from his perspective, they switched it to hers. And I think they should have left it from his perspective. Yeah. Um. But also they changed the dynamic between Ralph Anderson and the lead invest, uh, the the, uh, the district attorney, the ADA. And uh, oh. because they made him less culpable. The district attorney. Yeah. You think so? I don't uh, how did I think that it, they made it easier for you to blame all this on Ralph to a certain extent. And a part of that is because they changed how he presented himself between talking to Ralph in the room behind the glass Mm -hmm. and how he tried to play Terry in the room in front of the glass before his lawyer got there. And I think losing those moments mean we lose some of the slowly building anger and that realization that Terry's having that he's an enemy camp and that Ralph is having that this situation has not been handled well, and he allowed himself to be. He, I mean, come on, they gassed him up. He gassed himself up. No, but you, can, DA, you can't put that. The, out AD, a the ADA did too, because every single time he would raise a concern, he's like, "It's fine," or "This other evidence is overwhelming." But he gave himself permission to stop being a good cop. Yeah, and like, I, I put ninety percent of the blame on Ralph because
1: Ralph could have stopped all of this. Like. Like the yeah. ADA may, may have been gassing him up, but Ralph really was, was the one pumping the brakes the whole time.
0: All Ralph had to do was say, we need to talk to Terry Matlin." Yeah, that's it. At any point in time, all he had to do was ask. I mean, in the book, they have the one line where he was saying, well, I could have called somebody at the school, but I figured it was the summer. What were they really going to tell me? So yeah. he yeah. made an assumption. I do like the way that they're showing it on the screen because I think that's more reflective of how steps get skipped in the reality of police procedure and investigations. Mm-hmm. But I like the way that Stephen King presented certain things in the book, because I think that's a better internal understanding of the emotions and the the, the the permissions people give themselves to support a rush to judgment. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think they, I mean, we had some great moments that were in the reading. Where and I said that like we've been in church, it's reading from the book of John. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <laughs> but there were some moments like like you were saying with the little girl who they got the testimony from where she saw him coming out of the woods. I don't like the way that they changed the dialogue on the TV show. I think they should have kept it in the book. They took away some of her naivety and innocence, and I think they did it because they cast a black child, and that pissed me off.
1: Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't make her. They didn't make her smart enough. So you no. so so you see a man come out of the out of the woods with blood off of come, baby coming off of his chin and you just gonna look at him?
0: Nah, no, so no. He, no, you you suddenly turn into Homer Simpson and you are backing away like you going through some bushes. Come on, but she just looks and, at him. So You didn't make and her then, and you run yeah. right. right. But I don't I don't I don't mean that kind of loss of innocence. I meant like they had her asking more affirmative questions that mm-hmm. were above her age level okay. as the black child that. on the screen than they did in the presumed non-black child in the book like the yeah. the night na- the naivety they had of how she laid out the explanations, and they were like oh but you know it could have been this or he said it was that but that didn't really make sense can i have a soda you know i really wish they had left that in and yeah. i think that kind of goes slightly to the bias that people have at this presumed maturity uh in black girls that mm-hmm. is not real yeah that's true Um, so that kind of, that kind of bothered me because I felt like it changed some of the dynamic for how Ralph responded to the information that he received. Mm -hmm. Um, and they didn't give me anything else to support why he continued to rush a judgment. No. So without those elements, I felt like they lost a bit of the tension that was building in the book that I was really, really enjoying from getting the, 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 you know, and I why did he cut short the scene with the Native American woman? I really wanted to hear more from her. And she turns out to have more pivotal information, and they could have given her more screen time because I felt like they cast somebody fabulous. So that's, you know, I'm black. Well, I don't know if they're done with her, though. You know, they. they, they I don't think they cool. can be.
1: Yeah, I think that that might still come up, but I I, I think that's the biggest problem with that I had with the first episode. It wasn't enough tension building.
0: Yeah, the first episode it was called Tension
1: in a Barrel, right? Yeah, it was like. They they lost attention because they wanted to hurry up and get through to the point where we're at in episode two. Um, but I will say this, though. Um, there were some changes that I did like. Well, no. Well, I'm going to go back to a change I didn't like. But there was a change that I did like. I did like what they did with Frank Peterson's mother. Because in the book, Frank Peterson's mother dies because I think because she's overweight. And I don't know, she dies of some sort of weight complication. But uh, huh? Well, uh, it, it would say that is definitely the way she looks right there in, in the movie is not the way she looks. No, in the they cast skinny broad. And the way she died is not the way that she died in in the book. And it did have something to do with her way. I don't remember completely, but I do know that I like the way that she died. As you know, as you, as best as you can like the way someone dies you know, where she's having a freak out moment and then she literally has a stroke. I like the way they filmed
0: that. I did like it. Oh, it was, I I love the way they filmed it. I thought it was brilliantly done. I did Mm -hmm. not like the fact that we lost all of the context of what was going on in her family. I didn't see them focusing on her weight as (laughs) making that the cause of her death. I thought it was real close to the line. I thought it was real close, Did real, real close to fat phobic. Um, but I thought it was more. Stephen about... King does have a problem with that though. Fat phobia. Stephen King, yeah, Stephen King don't don't like fat people. No, <laughs> no. He I'm always saying. he's he's always got some real mm-hmm. barely implicit bias against people who are bigger than um, probably a size six, especially women, mm-hmm. which I think is ironic since one of the best characters that he's ever had that was portrayed on screen was by Kathy Dan Bates and it was Annie in Misery. So. Right. there's that and uh she's been other characters in his book and some really really like rose manor and the crossover book where she, Dolores Claiborne also Kathy Dan Bates so he needs to get over himself and his fat issues whatever side sorry got sidetracked um because you're not wrong but I thought I thought that was more about showing her husband Fred's thoughts that you know he married her when she was just a wisp of a a child like she was you know she was you know reed thin and beautiful in her wedding dress and i thought it was less about her weight and more about kind of the evolution of their relationship and that he still loved her and all he ever saw when he looked at her is that she was still beautiful to him and you know his doctor saying well she's overweight she needs to lose weight she's got type 2 diabetes you need to help her and he couldn't bring himself to try to make their relationship about her weight Yes, I do recall that being in the book, but what was her reason for dying? Oh, she's dead ass, had a heart attack. Yeah. And what did they blame it on, though? That's the part that I'm happy didn't make it on the show. they they, 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 They took the setup of what I thought was some beautifully expressed emotions, and then he wrapped it around to this always pervasive medical assumption that all weight that's over a certain amount is unhealthy weight and will ultimately end in your death. I did not like that wraparound. I was happy it didn't make it in the show. I was actually pissed when I was reading it and I saw that he drew that connection between the two things. Yeah.
1: Cause because I think that's where I'm going. Like, Mm -hmm. i i I, it wasn't like an implicit but it it certainly has something to do with her weight whereas in the show it had nothing to do with her weight it had everything to do with her just basically dying from a broken damn heart broken heart you know what i mean and just falling apart at that very moment and and also
0: i did like how she confronted terry because that was not in the book that was brilliant yeah i thought that was brilliant yeah, I love how they let that go down. I love where they had it happen. They had it in the right context. And it also demonstrated that she was hanging on by an emotional thread and that she was wound real tight, the real kind of tight that leads to you know, dropping dead from exactly. hypertension and stress-induced heart attacks. I did, I was sad that they didn't replace emotion for emotion for the dynamic between the father, the son, and the mother. I, I feel like they stripped some of the emotion out of that because all they wanted to leave was the overt expression of grief. I I, I feel like they should have left his thoughts in about his son Ollie because it becomes extremely important later. Yeah, and I, so I think, yeah, I
1: think that they really should have given the son again. They should have done an epi- I, yeah, they should have done another episode in between because you didn't give the son time
0: to develop at all.
1: Basically, all the son got was a was
0: a was a look. Right. and there's that. and there's more to that there's more to that dynamic there's more to that relationship and mm-hmm. I think that's I think those were the moments that got sacrificed to them trying to introduce the supernatural elements overtly yeah earlier in the show than we get in the book the beginning of this book is straight up and down the police investigation they don't try to pretend that it's anything else they leave the question open how can a man be provably in two places at the same time open. And I don't know if they needed a different, or if they needed an in-between episode, but between Fish in a Barrel and Roanoke, because those are the names of the first two episodes, Mm -hmm. I feel like they took away some of the time to the character development that Stephen King is known for. Mm -hmm. And when you're adapting a book of his that puts you in a world that's got its own rules, because that's why he likes small towns, because he can isolate and create his own rules. And then he can bring in magic and supernatural and monsters because he's got issues. But knowing that about adapting a Stephen King town and knowing that you have multiple characters who were all important, I don't think it was enough at a, an individual connection level. Now, overall, you have a reason to be connected to Terry Matlin's party, uh, by, uh, family, especially by the end of Roanoke, season episode two. But I think they kind of mishandled his children. Yeah. Because they're using one child as a vehicle for clearly the elements that are more supernatural that they intend to introduce. And they're kind of neglecting the other child. So I would really have appreciated if they had found a way to leave in the moment to where uh, Glory has to figure out where she's putting the kids so she can go to the house. Because we forgot to say that simultaneously in deciding to embarrass him and arrest him in the, baseball stadium in the middle of the game that qualifies his team to go to the championships so everybody's there they also have the police waiting at his home to serve his wife a warrant Mm -hmm. so they can strip his house and search everything and by the way can we talk about the fact that they have an incomplete warrant that should be completely thrown out by a a, a judge because it doesn't say what they came there for
1: they didn't even have
0: that in the book I've never heard of that. Yes, they did. Even in the book. In the book, I don't remember that. Oh, that's because they kind of played it off like there's nothing wrong with what they did. Oh, okay. Glory calls their lawyer and tells him what's happening and he's supposed to be going to the police station to see Terry and find out what's going on. And during that conversation, he tells her and she asks him, do I have to let them in my house? And he says, if they have the warrant, you have to let them in. He's like, what is this Nazi Germany? She's like, well, they have a warrant. They have a right to be there, but they only can take what's listed in the warrant. Right, I remember that. In the book and in the movie, when she gets home and they give her the warrant, the things that they came there to take, they said it's empty and they have the pregnant officer say it's at our discretion. I mean, when you look at what they're grabbing, they're grabbing uh, everything. They have a, a um, the piggy bank. I was like, really? A piggy bank? And that's why I said, had this really been a police procedural, that would have been a problem. Because if you're serving a search warrant, search warrants have to be specific. Like, if they said that they're coming in there and they want to take everything that's owned by Terry Matlin, they actually have to confirm that the things that they take out of the house are owned by the father or that he has direct and immediate access and control over them, which means he may potentially, they may potentially be able to extrapolate that to taking iPads and other things that he has access to that are easily and openly and readily available in the house. But having that complete section empty in the warrant. Would later in a real police procedural show be the kind of thing that would get you smacked in your ass by the, the defense attorney. So I thought, I was like, y'all yeah, not gonna fix that? <laughs> I'm right. like, yeah. fix that. And so, I, but I will say I appreciated some of the dialogue that they took out when she got home and didn't have her throwing shade and nastiness at the pregnant police officer who's just trying to do her job. Yeah. But
1: I, I, I did appreciate the shade in the book sometimes, but sometimes she did take it a bit far.
0: Oh, the whole, I hope your baby die? I'm glad they didn't even have her think that. But I do think the rest of what was in there is the actual interaction between her and the cops was necessary because it would have better, it would have better explained why she's so hostile at the end of episode two, that it wasn't just about what happens to her husband. It was about what they had done to her family. And I feel like they should have left that in. I don't feel like we needed a whole other episode to go through those elements because I feel like we had time that they wasted in these episodes taking those things out but still letting time unfold if that yeah. makes any sense. i don't know if i make any sense but yeah so hbo describes episode one they named it fish in a barrel it's an hour um it's the 11 year old body is found in the georgia woods by detective ralph anderson it launches an investigation into the murder and you can tell by the description the only things they wanted to focus on the eyewitness physical evidence pointing to the local teacher uh, Ralph makes the very public arrest, but is perplexed by his seeming indifference to hiding his crime. Now, I don't believe that they gave us enough to really support that they say that that was a part of supposed to be something that you took away from this episode. I do agree with you on that. They rushed. They had so many more witness statements that we didn't get. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. There were a lot
1: of witnesses that we need to get to. There was yeah. a lot of witnesses we didn't get any access to at all.
0: So you're they, right about de- that. they decreased the number of witnesses that Terry had to support his claim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, they changed what it looked like from the defense's side for them preparing to protect and get Terry out of jail. They took a lot of those moments out. And I, I agree with you. I think all of those moments were essential to building tension. Um, they had some marvelous moments of shade in there. And this is what I mean when I say I don't like how they changed the DA. The D.A. in the book is a rising star and kind of a phenom, youngest guy in his office to already have multiple convictions. And this is in, what, Ohio in the book, in a death penalty state?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, um, so he's already had people who he's got put on death row. They're known as his boys. And they're, like, he currently has two people set up to go be put to death soon. Yeah. But he also looks like Alfalfa. He kind Uh, of does in the show. He does, but they didn't use it in the show. You mean like they didn't mention it in the show? No, they didn't use it. Like, when his first interview with Terry, he tried to play like, oh, I just work for the, uh, I work for the attorney's office. You know, maybe we can get this straightened out. They had him come in super hard And that means we lost some of the, we definitely lost the shade Terry threw at him during that interview, which I thought was funny and would have been very appreciative. Mm-hmm. But we also lost some of the overt ways in which you start to understand Terry in the book, how he processes, how he thinks, how he talks, Mm -hmm. how he uses information. They make him seem kind of almost dead in the affect with Jason Bateman. And I really feel like if we had had that moment and we could juxtapose between how he responded to Ralph and how he responded to the the DA, the ADA, and then how he talks to Ralph later, I think we would have had a better emotional connection. And we also would have had more of that tension that was being built up. So you're almost ready for the supernatural elements to show up because they've given you all this stuff. And you're like, there's no way this works out as a regular police procedural. This is broken. They got so much blood in this truck, in this vehicle, that there's no question that that boy died in there. You know what I mean? They've got him, they've got screen grabs from him all over town. There's no way that the witnesses are lying. But wait, you got him with a group of people who can account for his every minute with the exception of an hour where he went out of town. There's no way they could be lying. I really feel like we lost some of that.
1: Oh yeah, we lost all
0: of that. And and I really appreciate it. But I still, I'm liking the show. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the show. It's just, it's just, I really wish they would have handled the first episode just a little bit better with the tension. You know, the, 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 the book gave you the elements of the tension and for some reason they took it away and I wish they wouldn't have because It's something that the audience really could have done some things with, you know, it would have been just a little bit better if they had left that type of tension.
0: in. I mean, we don't really, we don't really have an idea of what, what the people in this town are like without the elements that we got in the book In the book, I have a pretty firm idea and a firm grip on what kind of town I think I'm I'm reading about. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think, I think in the show, you don't really understand why it is, his perp walk into the courthouse for his arraignment was well, such a big deal. Yeah. And leads to the vitriol that it leads to. It's my favorite word of the year, vitriol, just in case you just wonder. Uh, that's a great word. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I really, I really feel like when they were translating some of those things um, and again, I think this might be in an, an area of, this is where I'm always convinced that Stephen King's wife gives notes and feedback because you get more of an emo- emotional grittiness and depth. And some of his more recent work, there's more complexity of that nature. When it comes to that, some people feel less paper thin as they did in older books. Mm-hmm. And I think that they kind of strip some of that away. And that's because it's written all but dudes. It's written by dudes. If it's directed by dudes, and I think I think that mattered. But uh, I'm I'm really enjoying the show. Uh, I've avoided a lot of the behind-the-scenes videos and stuff, but I may back go back and look at them now to see how they talked about it. I know at one point in time, Jason Bateman said that he did this show because he wanted to get back to the Ozarks, so he's a dork. Um, I have to watch that show. I keep hearing about that show. Well, I'm just going ahead and put that on your list of things that you need to do because I make me, you know, make you talk to me about it. But I highly recommend The Outsider, the book. This is one of the few times that I think that you could actually read along as you're watching, especially yeah. if you like the audio because you'll be ahead of the show. Yeah. Yeah, the audiobook
1: I I enjoyed it. I I work with my hands on a creative, so the audiobook worked really well for me and the voices that they did were excellent. So, it kept me engaged.
0: I was really into it. How many hours was the audiobook? Do you remember? I can look at it while we're talking. Well, let's do that, shall we? Yes. And then for those who like to like, you know, who are reader readers, the physical book is how many pages is your book, Stephen? The physical book is 560 pages. So, For me, I reread the first 165 and I think an hour last night, (laughs) but I'm a weirdo, so pace yourself. I mean, there's a lot of like, this is also one of the things that the character from The Outsider is a crossover character out of the trilogy that starts with Mr. Mercedes. If you are reading the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, the outsider and the events in the outsider occur midway through the second book in the trilogy. I believe it's finders keepers. Mm -hmm. If you are the kind of person who cannot take events about a character pulled out of a series and you intend to read the Mr. Mercedes trilogy and you have not, there are spoilers for the final book of the Mr. Mercedes trilogy in The Outsider. I just want to throw that caveat out there because I don't want nobody trying to cuss me out later saying I didn't warn you. I didn't find them to be upsetting. I didn't bother. It didn't bother me at all. But if you're the kind of person who, when you read, you don't like there to be hints about things later, then you may want to hold off on reading The Outsider until you finish End of Watch or at least Finders Keepers, which is the second book. Um, But yeah.
1: So which one should you read first? Are you saying read... um... Mr. Mercedes first, or read The Outsider first?
0: I read them in release order, but that I would say Nothing now- with
1: Stephen King, though,
0: and you know that. You're right. Okay. I mean, nothing. Um, in all honesty, I would say finish the Bill Hodges series of novels, which is a trilogy that starts with Mr. Mercedes and then goes to Finders Keepers and then end of Watch. Then you don't have to worry about having anything spoiled in that story arc and that storyline and the events and those people at all. Um, but The Outsider is actually a true standalone. It only involves a character who shows up in that series. So if that kind of thing doesn't bother you, you can read Mr. You can read Mr. Mercedes and keep going through the series with that at all. But if it is, there are <laughs> elements and information that will be exposed in the outsider that are implicated in end of watch the end of the bill Hodges series. So that's going to be a buyer. That's going to be a, you know, choose your own adventure kind of thing. If you're a stickler for info, finish the bill Hodges series first and then read the outsider. But it didn't okay. bother me. I, I just you know, that's that I I don't take responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So
1: uh, anyway, it is five hours and nine minutes. That's not bad. That. That. Yeah.
0: Nah, it's not bad at all. You can do it in a day.
1: Do it in a day. Okay,
0: okay. I guess I guess I could give you some context. The character who is from the Bill Hodges series is Holly Gibney, who will be played by Cynthia Revo on HBO. So you will learn things about Holly in The Outsider that will impact what happens at the end of End of Watch. Well, I what
1: do not think- see she in is she in Mr. Mercedes?
0: Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. comes from the she comes from the world of Mr. Mercedes. No, I mean, but she is in the first book. Mm mm Okay. She's she's a major character. She's she's also a fan favorite. Just so you're wondering. Um, okay. So well, they could actually build a whole series off of her. I would be so down with following the adventures of Holly Gibney, especially if you going to give it to me. Cynthia, but quite frankly, I also like the Holly who's in the Mr. Mercedes series. So there's that too Mm -hmm. According to the information that you get when you look up Holly Gibney They say she's a younger cousin of Janie and Olivia Gibney. She suffers from OCD, synesthesia, sensory processing disorder. She's somewhere on the autism spectrum and because of this she's extremely observant and has a refreshingly unfilteredness and she's highly unaware of her innocence She basically runs she basically picks up the baton of events um, in Finder's Keepers, which is the second book in the Mr. Mercedes series. Oh, OK. So she's in part two. She's in the second book. Okay. Yeah. Really now, now they, they are changing the character a little bit. And um, I think it goes back to playing into the idea that for certain people who exist in the world, for Stephen King, he believes that they have a thinner layer between them. Uh, between being able to see the mystical and the mundane. So I, Holly Gibney is one of those characters in which her observation can also be elevated to a level to where there's a bit more mysticism involved. And I believe that is my understanding of the direction of how they plan on using Holly through Cynthia Revo in the show. Gotcha. Well, they definitely did that in the audiobook. You could definitely tell the difference between her and like a regular person talking. Well, they definitely right. showed
1: that. Oh, you know, and that brings me to another thing that I thought might have done a little much in the book. The guy in the hoodie. They could have they could have they could have done a little less of that. A little less.
0: Yeah. A little less of the guy in the hoodie. I think I mean, they're I, I think they're starting with him did. too early. I think it starts too early. I think they're trying Way to too early I think the moments and the time that they took up to try to start to remind you that this is a Stephen King's world and a Stephen King town and therefore it's a Stephen King mystery. So there may possibly be something supernatural about it. I think uh, making that choice to start trying to push that—it's too soon.
1: Yeah, it was too soon and it was too much. Like you, you could have shown him maybe once in those two episodes. I didn't need
0: multiple sightings. I think if yes. you were going to show him, we only needed to see him once, and especially wow. if they were going to start doing the things with his creepy child talking to somebody who's not there in her house. Come on, or or the face, the way his face looks like. I think have they, to do it. I think they disclosed that too soon as well. Yeah, like they, they, just,
1: they need to do that. They. You you didn't need all that to keep my interest because I was already interested in the fact that there's a child that's been hurt and they've already basically proven that it's not the guy that they thought it was. That in of itself was interesting. You didn't have to bring in this weird looking guy in a hoodie and they did it way, way too soon to me. So
0: um, way too much. I absolutely agree. On, on that note, we are, we are of one accord. But again, I think that's the difference between what people read and what they think is important to understanding something you're reading versus understanding something you're watching. And yeah. I do think with the exception of The Leftovers and Watchmen, yes, I'm, bi- bi- I'm biased in favor of um, Linda Dor- Lindorff. Sometimes they get a little antsy when they've decided to do the whole show, not tell method of visualizing a story and they they get paranoid oh they're gonna miss it we have to do it again or or they're not gonna get it we have to show it again or they're not gonna realize this is important we have to do it again and i think that they okay phenom would say that they have to do it because audiences are stupid i know i know chris would probably say it's because audiences are lazy i know i think it's because audiences have been trained into the binge. And when you're binging a show.
1: I think all three of those thoughts are terrible, though, because
0: mm. a lot of your audiences don't want to be shown
1: that, though. And and why can't we have shows that don't treat us like that?
0: We do. HBO is usually the one who gives them to us. It'll be interesting to see <laughs> <And> exactly. <yes. laughs> but, but again, remember, we don't know exactly which elements they're planning to translate going forward, because we've only seen the first two episodes. So we already know that they've, they've made fundamental changes to the an- Ralph Anderson character, so that's going to change the dynamic going forward. They've introduced this whole you need to go to therapy thing. Wait, did he have um, a list in the book? I don't remember him having a list, but I think that just might be Ben Mendelssohn's problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think oh, he may just have a slight tendency to drag his words a little. Okay, okay. All right. Might be his, you know, hat tip to Georgia. I think They're it might bad. just be... I'm just saying. I think, I. I, I mean... I I caught it. I rewound. I'm like, what is he doing and why? Yeah. I was like, wait, is that a lisp? That's a lisp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I I, I mean, come on. Like we have a deeper connection because we have a better understanding of some of the elements that are missing and some of the things that we got when we got to meet these characters for the first time in the book. I get that they're trying to, they're going more for a grimmer tone Mm -hmm. um, on the show and i think when you do that it changes what needs to be front and center in your story so i think they got a i think they got a little concerned about making sure we had a solid um, connection but they also thinned out some of the investigative nature of the story yeah. that i think some people thought was too heavy handed in the book now you and i think that they yeah yeah i i did read a couple reviews won by someone who I absolutely have no respect for. So I'm fine with agreeing, disagreeing with them all day. We ain't gonna say no names today. We might eventually, if they keep being trash. But um. But I like that though, because I thought it was different for Stephen King. I guess both people right. aren't
1: investigative. And so I thought it was a nice twist to his type of book and i was looking forward to that type of perspective in this show so for me it's a little disappointing disappointing yeah it's a little disappointing not and look guys i'm definitely not saying i don't enjoy the show because it sounds like it and i i hate listening to reviewers that don't sound like they enjoy stuff i thoroughly enjoyed it it's just some of the things that they had in the book um I thought we we're gonna be in the show, and so I'm just a little surprised. I think
0: more because they really work. Yeah, they really. If they work. want, I'm like, okay. I, I will say as well. I mean, we're being a little hard on the first two episodes, but part of it is because that really kind of sets up. Everything else that happens, and there's a lot in this book. Again, I said it's 560 pages, which equals about five hours of listening. So it mm-hmm. really matters. And yeah. we're just we're just kind of noticing some of the things that Stephen King gave us to invest us in these people and this story and to being willing to let us see where the hell he was going versus what the show is giving you up front to invest you in these people. But they didn't give you enough of investment in this town. And there's going to be a big, huge, pivotal moment at the end of episode two that changes who you need and how you need to be invested. And then, obviously, that's going to change again when Holly shows up. Yeah. So I agree with you that there are some threads and some connective ways. And it would have been interesting to see how you translate some of the internal thoughts that Stephen King is fond of giving his people on screen, i and you got great actresses. I really would have liked to see her say, "Oh, must be nice if somebody is relieved for fifteen minutes, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> I think they blunted some of the edges to some of the harsher emotions out of Terry Matlin's family. I think they downplayed some yeah. of the consequential horror and trauma that's happened to other children in this town. I think they kind of focused a little hard on some of the adult trauma, but those elements aren't the only ones that are going to be important, not just for this story, but for this town. So I agree with you. I think they could have handled things a little bit better, but again, if we weren't interested in the outsider and continuing it, this would be a summary wrap up of the show and the book, and we would be spoiling the rest of the book or telling you things of why you should read the book. And we would not be telling you that we will absolutely be continuing to cover the remaining episodes. remaining eight episodes of The Outsider. We'll probably take them in two episode batches to give us plenty to talk about, to give us comparison for the book. Because again, they ran through so much of the book so fast in the first two episodes. <laughs> the first thing Toya asked me before we recorded was, what the hell is left? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hundred pages left, good Lord. Whew, they went through that. Yeah, but that's also one of the reasons why we can talk about this the way where we can go back and forth because they didn't throw it out. You are getting it in the show. It's just they changed when they give it to you. And I'm finding some of the changes they're making to be really interesting and I'm liking them. Others are slightly disappointing because I think the way Stephen King handled it was better. But again, that's not necessarily fair. He's Stephen damn King. And there's a certain rhythm that he lulls you into being accepting of but not many other people can get you to accept.
1: I will say though, the little girl, the daughter, freaked me out. Which she has appropriately really freaked out. The daughter that that um is in. Keep the train- talking to walls? Come on, freak me out. I was like, wait a minute, little girl, cut this shit out. Cut this I'm shit out. You,
0: I'm gonna tell you right now, they got me ready to cuss out <laughs> Jessica Matlin, played by Scarlett Bloom, and I want to put her in a circle with salt around her, burn some sage, call. Some different people from different types of religions, and have that little child exercised and protected, and my oh. house cleansed. I want my house cleansed. Did you see at the end of this episode where Mama go in there? and She just staring straight ahead like ain't nothing there, and it right. looked like something on the damn floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was she ready to go. Screaming? I said, Oh I was, no, 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 I we're was, not doing this. Yeah, Scarlet Bloom. I don't know who the hell you are. I don't know where. Oh. Oh, if you haven't put reprisal on your um, queue to watch, I believe that is a Prime show, original. Reprisal? Uh-huh. She is apparently in it. It's on my watch list. She's from The Walking Dead. Is that why you got such a creepy dead face, girl? Because she's just oh, a creepy child? You say a creepy dead face? Oh, no. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? Tell me I'm lying. I dare you. I dare you. Oh. I dare you. Yeah, Where she, me, she has, a pro- me, has me appropriately freaked out, like, when she started yeah.
1: screaming, I said, um, I don't, don't, and I know how the story goes and I don't appreciate this. Don't,
0: yeah, don't do me, little girl. Because yeah. now I don't know what they're going to do with her on the screen. I was like, I don't like it. She talking to walls. Uh, she's yeah. staring at shit. She keeps swearing up and down somebody in there she talking to. Because, yeah. But then again, I'm also going to say the very white response to her mother is like, it's just a bad dream. It's a bad dream once. Right.
1: Also, I'm still going to walk around this room and figure out you You didn't see something that is in this house. I'm going to leave you at least for a few minutes.
0: Yes, ma'am. We walking around this house. I'm not just going to tell you. Do you want a drink? You cool. I'll be over here if you need me. No, ma'am. This little girl screaming at the top of her lungs, going, "Are you happy now that you've seen what happened to my daddy? We're moving right (laughs) immediately. Just in case it's the house, we getting the fuck out the house." Right, Misha, we're leaving. And you so, said it's called Reprisal. Mhm. I was hearing about the show, and it's got uh, the guy I believe who was Aladdin. Oh, Reprisal, the one that's on Hulu. Is it Hulu or is it um, Prime? It might be Hulu. Hulu, yeah, it just came yeah, out. Yeah, Hulu. Yeah, that show. It's got uh, it's got Sud in it. So he was on my radar because I've heard this was his next product, his next project, and. Uh it came up in a conversation he was having, somebody was asking him, oh, well, how do you feel about, you know, the recognition and the notoriety of having been in Aladdin? And he was like, it hasn't changed anything for me. And he's mm-hmm. like, I can't, he's like, I still can't even get a call. I can't even get in the room, I'm not even get any scripts. He is uh, Egyptian. Uh, and I thought that he was a very interesting choice. And I think that he's very talented, but I don't think that he's really had his breakout role. But everybody is telling me that he is pretty damn good as Ethan Hart in Reprisal. So I have it on my watch list. He was also in Jack Ryan, the first season of Jack Ryan um, on Amazon Prime. So he's a, he's a he's a solid, solid, talented actress. But apparently, when I look up the show, this little girl, the creepy girl, is in the show. So now I'm definitely going to watch it because I really need to know if we need to get this child of exorcism. Uh because she she freaked mm -mm, me out. mm -mm. But I do love the fact that he so very brilliantly makes it a commonplace thing that sometimes when kids are talking to something you can't see, it doesn't mean that they're not talking to anything, to nothing. And I love how they're using that in the show, but I do think that they've overused it too far. And I hope that it kind of mellows out as the story goes along. And I also hope that we get to a point to where one day white people will listen to their damn children. I'm telling you the creepy you. shit. And the creepy shit they say. I'm telling you. How many shows do we have to have where people are at the screen saying, "Listen to that damn child." I'm telling you. <laughs> Cause yeah, uh, Scarlett has me. Um, her name is Jessa. They changed her name to Jessa on the show. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. She has me appropriately freaked out. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That moment she had on the
1: screen, I was like, "Um, somebody get this mm-hmm. child.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Somebody hug
0: mm-hmm. this child, please." Mm. I ain't hugging her, I'm dumping her in a whole vat of holy water. I'll hug oh. her afterwards.
1: Ah, ha, ha. Oh shit, that's funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm burning some incense. I'm gonna make sure that we don't have any spiritual doorways that are open. Mm-mm. Right. I'm right. putting down salt barriers everywhere. Mm mm. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, y'all. My mama's a little twitchy-witchy. We live in the South, and I actually come from a family to where sometimes I'm not too sure that they don't manifest stuff into existence. So I tend to get a little hyper, you know, let's just hedge all our bets. And I'm also Catholic, so I'm, you know, I'll go light some candles real quick and steal some incense in a minute. But yeah, no, I, I am, I'm I'm really liking how they're blending in the police and the mystery and the supernatural. I don't really know where it's going. Um, I am rereading the book as it goes along again. Are I don't you? Hope- I should yeah. do that too. I, I'm back up to the section called Footsteps in Cantaloupe, mm-hmm. so about 191. So last night before I went to bed, I reread the first 160 pages and I read another 30 before we were because I got problems. Okay. And I and I do and I do actually read fast and I read every word on the page. I'm not a words I'm not a page skimmer, you know. Oh, I Some,
1: used to be a page skimmer. I was I anything that wasn't conversation.
0: I can't. I always ended up having to go back
1: and figure out what i missed yeah it was it was a terrible it was a terrible idea like
0: getting motherfuckers behind the shit in the exposition and i done skipped it and be swearing they ain't tell me i was like yeah yeah so i was i what book i think it was i actually think it was a stephen king book that happened i was reading uh the one about the car that creepy ass damn car Mm -hmm. and i had been skipping christine Christine. I had been skipping between things and then I was like, how the hell did we end up in murder? Why are we at murder? This is a murder car? And it turned out because I had skimmed between dialogue I had missed something that they had laid out in the exposition that explained exactly how fucked up that car was. I had nightmares for weeks. Oh, for yeah. weeks. Christine will do it to you, honey. Mm-hmm. And I, I was not, I, I mean, I couldn't, I would not walk, a, I still have problems with cars, man. <sighs> I read a book called robo Apocalypse. I know I'm slightly changing the subject, but I swear to God there's a point and it connects back to a car like Christine. It's written by a person who actually knows robotics and AI and he's one of the most unassuming and sweet people I've ever met. His name is Dan Wilson. He's a brilliant writer, and I personally mean to make sure that he's always my friend. So when he accidentally builds what will be our future robot overlords, he can convince them that I should be on their side and they should like me. But in the book that he wrote, one of the first things that happens when gar- when electronics gain sentience is cars start hitting people. Uh, no. Yeah, they just start killing their owners. And then later in the book, when they show people have been like kind of barricading themselves inside buildings, the reason why they're doing it is because their neighborhoods are being patrolled by murder cars. And all I could think every time I read it, I'm like, it's a whole fucking town full of Christine's. I don't like this. And I had to read to the end because I needed to know that people survive the murder cars. So Christine fucked me up. And the reason why I got extra fucked up is because I had skipped over some shit that wasn't dialogue. And I had missed the fact that my black ass had slipped into reading a whole car, a book about murder car. And then I slept with the lights on and I didn't want to get in the car. And we didn't even own a car like that. My dad used to have a duster and I decided that all old cars and muscle cars were all possessed. I had problems. I was walking around trying to make people's cars be my friends. So You're I read the, I read every word. You shut up, Toy. You leave me alone. You just sitting there judging me. I hear. I feel the judgment. You. are there
1: <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I used to do the same shit. I used to not read that anything other than dialogue and be like confused as hell. Like what? Mm-mm. So no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, my my love of books started when my dad used to take me to the library. And he mm-hmm. would get us six books out of the library every time, and we had to give him a book report. And and I used to love to read ever since then. But then I started getting lazy because you know books take time. And my favorite book writer at the time was Stephen King, and you know he could write some books. I mean, he could he could write some lengthy ass books. And then I would start reading only just the dialogue, because I wanted to say I read a book, but I only wanted to read just the dialogue parts. Then I'd be hella confused. And yeah, so trust me, I understand exactly what you're saying. I did it
0: too. Yeah. So, my love of books comes from my mom used to read to us. She didn't read us the the pretty Hans Christian Andersen and the pretty Grimm fairy tales. She read us the tales grimmer. So, Mm. yeah. So, I grew up knowing that Sleeping Beauty was some necrophilic shit and was not okay with it. So, obviously, you know, I transitioned very smoothly into horror.
1: Funny as
0: hell, man. Yeah. So, I used to hear about your mama like man my mom is bomb like I, she used to hide her books under the bed and i go into there and i read her books and she got slick and she like, used to start started hiding shit like roots under the bed and then she realized that was a tactical error because we lived in the south and I read roots and I became a little radicalized but yeah so I got my love of books and reading honestly and at the same place I got my love of watching TV and stuff is with my parents I've been waiting for good adaptations of Stephen King materials for a long time and I was always encouraged when something would come out and it could, didn't completely suck. And then they turn around and you get something like, you know, cats. And then they'd turn around again and they'd give you like thinner and then they would give you Tommyknockers. And suddenly it settled down and you got things like Shawshank Redemption and other and the Green Mile. But I'm really enjoying what's happening with the episodic adaptations of Stephen King and I'm hoping that they all continue to be good. So we mm-hmm. continue to get more. If you have the audience channel, they are showing the Mr. Mercedes series. It is about to go into season three, I believe, or four. I accidentally recorded all of them. So I will be watching it and I will, all right, the show. It's you know, you know, so, you know, come back, join us some more. Hope you guys watch, you know, got questions or things or Stephen King books you want us to talk about. We got like throwback Thursday stuff to do. We can go back and read an old one. But uh, so you're in for the whole show, Toya?
1: No, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I got to know how it finishes. Come on, who stops in the middle? Hell yeah.
0: Oh, come on. Don't act like people don't, do not finish all the time. Not your
1: girl. I got to I, I don't think I'm a completionist so much as I got to see how this is going to go. And I, I'm really interested. I want to know how they're going to, with the changes they made, how they're going to finish this. And I want to know how Cynthia Revo
0: is going to make her version of Holly. Oh yeah. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I also want to know the rest of the, because they're bringing the women more active and dynamic into the story. I, I mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how they get used. I, 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 love how they're playing around with the children in this world without it feeling, um, exploitive. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it, they, I, this starts with the rape and murder of a child, but it didn't feel at ever. It never feels like trauma porn. It feels like they're being very capable. I'm hoping that they do, they are the same way when it comes to the issues that have to do with disability is invisible and visible in the show. So I'm also very excited to see what they do with that. But at the end of the day, it's a Stephen King story. So I know some weird shit's gonna happen and I'm here for it because I finished all of Falling Skies. So I think at this point we can say I am in fact a convictionist. <laughs> yeah, okay much more of a completionist than my ass for sure i dipped (laughs) on that shit (laughs) and on that note i think we can call this one done for now thank you for listening to us and i hope you've enjoyed the insanity that is us and come back for the rest of the episode more talk about the outsider on hbo and more episodes of i talk shit and read and be sure to check out the other shows on the network and our written reviews and because it's going to be TV shows it's going to be movies we're adding in book reviews and anything else we can convince Crystal to let us do since he's got to you know handle the day job and he ain't he can't he can't tell us no what oh and Toya and I I know he's real cool Toya and I are also going to start talking about uh what lifestyle stuff mhm you know we're going low key VR each other's Life coaches. Oh yeah. <laughs> or at least we're gonna share a pool of information about you know the shit we see, the shit we know, and the shit we wish somebody had told us. <laughs> oh okay. Hell yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, y'all. Well, thanks for. Right, being y'all. <laughs> thanks for coming to play, Toya. It's all last minute, like. Yeah, I had fun. Actually, I had a prize This was Ex- good. Excellent.
1: Bye, y'all.